Take your liberty, my friend. Praise the Lord, church. Man, who is thankful to be in the house of God tonight? Amen. Amen. Man, who's thankful to, that the enemy did not have his way with us? Man, I can tell you that, I can surely tell you that if he did, I would not be standing here before you tonight. You guys can be seated. Church, I, I do hope, and I say this humbly, that my simple presence behind this pulpit tonight is a boost of faith and assurance that there is, in fact, a God. You see, I, I say that because I want to give honor to Brother Urshan and Sister Urshan for their confidence in me, for their confidence with me with their pulpit. And I want to give honor to my lovely wife. She's my blessing, church. And I know many of you guys have asked me a lot of times, how in the world did I convince this girl to marry me? <laughs> and the answer is, his name is Jesus. <laughs> it's simple as that. But church, I, I don't want to just honor our pastor. I truly and genuinely want to honor you, the church, my spiritual family. You see, there's so many of you guys here tonight that have made a, a massive impact on my life. And you see, and because of that impact, I have the opportunity now to be able to minister to you tonight. I want to give honor to Brother Storms. You see, Brother Storms is a, a mighty figure in this church. And if you don't know this, if you don't know Brother Storms, and I imagine it's very few of you because, you see, it's impossible, it's next to impossible to walk into this church and to walk by that man and not get a handshake out of him. Ever since I was a little kid, I remember um, when I was that punk teenage kid, I remember Brother Storms would always go out of his way to come approach me and to shake my hand. And that meant the world to me that, you know, a giant like Brother Storms would, would acknowledge me, some little kid in the church, to just to simply shake my hand. That meant the world to me. Um, I also want to give honor to Brother Charlie Tierney. Bro, I want to thank you for rebuking me. <laughs> it was years ago in the youth group, I remember sitting around with the young people, and the question was being asked, what would your friends say if we asked them to describe you? And I remember the question going around, and it finally got to me, and this was a pretty serious moment, and I looked at Brother Wilson, our youth pastor, and I said, well, I said, you know, I said, my friends would probably tell you that I was a godsend to this earth. And I got some laughs out of the youth group and completely derailed the moment, quenched the spirit, and I remember after service, I remember walking upstairs, and Brother Charlie was standing at the top of the stairs in the old building. And he came up to me, and he said, hey, bro, he said, did I hear that you said so-and-so in the in youth group tonight? And I said, yeah. And he goes, bro, what in the world is wrong with you? Why would you say that? And I remember walking away from that, that night just being frustrated. You know, I had issues with authority. And I remember later on in my early adult years, I remember the Lord brought that memory back to me in prayer. And I remember just being overwhelmed with thanksgiving. You see, the Lord showed me what Brother Charlie did for me. See, Charlie came to me out of love and he corrected me. I was in the wrong. And see, he did something very few people will do, and it's, it's come to someone in love and correct their brother. And, I, and Brother Charlie, I thank you for that. 
I also want to give honor to Sister Linda Wilkerson. I don't know if she's here tonight, but Sister, Sister Wilkerson would do something really special for me every time I came to church. You see, she would be standing, waiting at the front doors to the building right before I came in. And she would wrap me in her arms, give me a big old hug, and she would shake my hand. And what she was doing when she was shaking my hand, she actually palmed into my hand a $10 bill. And what she was doing was Sister Wilkerson would give me $10 so that way I could actually go out to eat with the youth group after church because I didn't have any money. And that made such a huge impact on me. It, It just made me feel so valued in the church. It made me feel wanted. And that is, I mean, everyone craves that. We crave to feel wanted in the church, to feel a sense of belonging. And Sister Wilkerson did that for me. I was just a little kid. I also want to give honor to Brian Duvall. Brian Duvall impacted my life when I was a young adult. When I was a young adult, I was uh, trying to get into ministry, and Brother Brian did something for me that just a handful of people have ever done in my life, and it's believe in me. Um, I remember Brian and I would have these leadership sessions down in the down in his office every Wednesday night, and every Wednesday before service we would we would talk about leadership, and he taught me this lesson about leadership, and he said, "Joe, do you know who the leaders in the church are?" And I proceeded to tell him. I said, "Yeah," and I said, "You got Brother Urshan, Sister Heidi, Brother Enos, Brother Buller," and I was naming a few off, and he goes, "Who else?" And I said, uh, you, Marla, Aaron. And he goes, you're missing a bunch. And I was like, okay. And I said, and he said, you know who else is a leader, Joe? And Brian took his finger and he pointed at me and he said, you are a leader. And I looked at him <laughs> confused and he said, he said, Joe, everybody in this church is a leader, whether they like it or not. You see, and the reason is, is because everybody in this church is being looked at by someone. We all have influence on people. And that makes us a leader. And I remember walking away from that, and it just completely revolutionized my perspective. I remember just thinking from that moment on, Joe has to think twice before he opens his big mouth. You know, I have to, I literally have to think twice before I show up and do something. You know, the things I say. I also want to give a huge honor to the Williams family. Man, they're, they're like celebrities in our church. Everyone knows them. And it's simply because of how selfless they are. Pops, I see you back there. I, there's, a, I, there's a story that really sticks out to me. And I could literally be here all night telling you stories about how this family has blessed me. But the story involves Aaron Williams. And when I was a young kid in the youth group, there was this spirit of rebellion going through us. And I remember it was cool to wear jeans to church on Sunday. And I remember, church, that I woke up one Sunday, and I put my jeans on, and I I went off to church, and I remember after service, Aaron sat me down, and he said, hey, man, he goes, that can't happen again. And he goes, you can't be wearing jeans to church on Sunday. God has blessed you with nice dress clothes, and so you need to wear those to church. You know, there's some kids who don't have that. He goes, what if the president of the United States invited you over for dinner? Would you wear jeans? Would you wear sweatpants? No. You'd wear your nicest clothes you had. And so, because I'm a good listener, and you know, the next week I wake up and I'm getting ready for church, and I head off to church wearing my jeans. (laughs) 
And so <laughs> I get home from church, and Aaron proceeds to confiscate every pair of jeans that I own. And so <laughs> he sits me down, and he says, hey, man, and he goes, uh, since, you know, you don't you know, want to wear dress clothes to church, you're going to wear dress clothes to school all week. And just to remind you, I went to a public school, and I didn't go to a good one at that. I went to Norwood. And so my reputation was at stake. And so I went, and sure enough, I went to school wearing dress clothes, and I looked like a total dork the entire week. And I remember being extremely frustrated. And I remember one night Aaron took me for a drive, and we had one of these talks, and we had a lot of these talks. And he took me, we were on this drive, and he he looks over at me and he says, Joe, he says, I know that you don't understand why I do what I do. And he goes, but I can promise you one day you're going to thank me. And I remember looking over at him and thinking in my head, because I didn't have the guts to say something to him, but I'm like, this dude's nuts. Why in the world would I thank you? You're literally destroying my reputation. And you see, church, years we're fast forwarding into years, and I remember this was literally just a few years ago, and I was on my way to work, and it was, I was, just got done praying, and the Lord brought that memory back to me. And as I was thinking about it, I was literally overwhelmed with joy. I was literally just crying in the car, thanking God for Aaron. And so, sure enough, I picked up my phone. I called Aaron. I said, hey, man. I said, you got a second? And he said, I sure do. And uh, I said, hey, and I said, do you remember when I was a little kid and I refused to wear dress clothes to church? And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember. And I said, well, bro, I just wanted to say thank you. And he was just like, no problem, man. I love you. And you see, church, I share these stories with you tonight. I share all these stories of how, how you guys in the church have impacted me. Because every single one of these stories have rooted me here. It's caused me to want to stay. It's caused me to want to be here. It gives me the opportunity to literally speak to you tonight. And you see, church, there's a lot more Joes right behind me. There's Joes up in the youth group tonight. There's Joes in our Sunday school department. And Brother Storms, they need you to shake their hand. Brother Charlie, they need you to correct them. Brian, they need you to believe in them when they don't believe in themselves. And Sister Wilkerson, they, they need your money. <laughs> But I'm already six minutes into this, and we haven't even gotten to the word, folks, so let me go ahead and push forward. Our scripture tonight comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. You're more than welcome to stand if you would like for, the, for an honor of the speak, reading of the word. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obadiah in all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with gladness. And it was so when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all of his house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now 
as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael. Now, I don't know how you pronounce this. It's, you know, Michael, Michael, but I asked Brother Urshan, and he said that it's Michael like Michael Jordan. So that's how I'm going to say it tonight. Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Well, church, tonight I want to talk to you about a subject I've entitled the chameleon syndrome. The chameleon syndrome. Say that with me. The chameleon syndrome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, I pray that you would just make me safe to your people. God, I pray that you would have your way tonight. Lord, I pray that every word that I speak, God, would be influenced by you, Lord. God, I pray that you would open our minds, and I pray that you would open our hearts, God. God, I pray that a seed would be cast forth tonight, God, and find fertile ground tonight, Lord. God, and begin to take root, Lord Jesus, and grow into a mighty tree, God. God, a tree of life that can bear fruit, Lord Jesus. Lord, have your way in us, Lord Jesus. God, have your way with my mouth, Lord Jesus. God, have your way with us tonight, Lord God. Keep us safe as we leave this place tonight. In your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The chameleon syndrome. So, chameleons. A distinctive and highly specialized lizard. They are distinguished by their double appendage feet, their very extensive and rapidly extrudable two-foot-in-length tongues. And also have a prehensile tail. Chameleon's eyes are independently mobile, affording them stereoscopic vision. And for those of you who are photographers or maybe, you know, admire art, you might know what stereoscopic means. It's simply this. And you might have seen this on Instagram or Facebook, but it's when you see two photos side by side. And one of the images is just slightly at a different angle. And so chameleons have this stereoscopic vision. It literally gives them a 360-degree view of their entire world. But most of all, they are admired for their strange ability to change color, to blend in with their environment. Because a chameleon is not particularly mobile, flexible, or even fast, the ability to blend in is critical for a chameleon's survival. You see, church, it may be critical for a chameleon's survival, but the chameleon syndrome for a saint can be fatal. So the question is, church, what is the chameleon syndrome? The chameleon syndrome is defined as this, the unwillingness to stand out in one's environment. So a person simply does whatever they have to do to blend in. It's the premium that has been placed on blending in instead of embracing the calling to stand out. You see, church, churches today are stacked full of young people and adults who are standouts within the familiarity of the church setting. And they are incredibly anointed and powerful at church. But sadly, they are chameleons outside of the church. The enemy has convinced them that 
blending in is critical to their survival. They are convinced to just act like everybody else. Convinced to just be normal. But I have news for you. Normal is simply overrated. You see, it's a catastrophic problem to live and act like everyone else does within the framework of this American culture. You see, to be normal in America means this. Going into $140,000 worth of debt so deep that you can't see your way out. Normal means that you are too busy, stressed out, and exhausted to spend time with your family. Normal is giving up and getting a divorce instead of fighting for your marriage. Normal is not being raised by your parents, but rather by another family member like your grandma or your aunt or even your own sister. Normal is having sex outside of the confines of marriage, doing whatever feels good to you. Addiction is normal. This culture encourages the abuse of this temple through drugs and alcohol. Normal people don't go to church. Statistics show 80% of Americans have something better to do than to attend the house of God. And here's a little bit of good news for you. Normal people actually do believe in God. But, they, but normal is also believing in God while living as if he doesn't exist. Normal in America means that you are a lukewarm, unpassionate, self-centered, and unspiritual Christian. I think we can agree, church, that Christians should be different. There should be something abnormal, particular, or even weird about us. Normal simply doesn't work. Blending in will never change the world. American poet E.E. Cummings said this, To be yourself in this world, which is doing its best night and day, to make you like everyone else, means that you are fighting the hardest battle any human can fight. The organization known as Psychology Today took a survey about fears. And resoundingly, they reported that the fear of public speaking was at the top of the list, outranking death itself. Our fear to stand up in front of a group and speaking is so great that it is more than death itself. We would rather sit with a crowd than to stand in front of everybody. And the question is, why? Why would people choose death over standing out? And it's simply because the fear of standing out is what is called the curse of self-consciousness. That means we would rather blend into our environment than stand in contrast to it. Even people who you, are think, who you think are dressed really crazy and look like they fell face first into a fisherman's tackle box with piercings all over their face, they too look to their friends to find normality. They're not trying to stand out They're trying to blend in within the circle of their friend groups. You see, self-consciousness keeps us from succeeding. Some people don't pray for their food in public because they're self-conscious. Some people would rather remain quiet than asking for help. Guilty. Some people in, in teens don't want their parents to hug them in public, not because they stopped loving their parents, 
but because they don't want to be embarrassed. And it was the curse of self-consciousness that kept me from raising my hand all throughout my years in school because I was afraid of getting the wrong answer and looking foolish. But here's the deal. You are in big trouble in the churches too if your number one priority in life is to stand is not to stand out for God. The unwillingness to stand out in your environment can prove to be fatal to your relationship with God. Imagine, what if the apostles didn't, didn't want to look strange on the day of Pentecost? This radical response of the Holy Ghost brought about by the infamous question, what meaneth this? The Bible even tells us that people thought that they were drunk. And the hard realization is this. If you're not willing to stand out for Jesus, then you will not be able to stand up for truth. And if you're not willing to stand up for truth, you will never be able to stand before the Lord and hear those most beautiful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over few things. I will make thy ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The truth is, the chameleon syndrome does not discriminate against age or even sex. It cripples the young and the old. As Christians, we've got to be okay with standing out in our environment. And if you're not willing to stand out, you must ask yourself the hard question. Whether you have truly a saving faith. You see, Noah must have looked pretty goofy building an ark and preaching about a coming flood for 120 years when it had never even rained before. Sarah must have looked crazy when she told people that she was pregnant at the ripe age of 90 years old. The Israelites must have seen psychotic marching around and around Jericho. Peter looked foolish, stepping out of a boat in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night. And most importantly, folks, Jesus looked foolish, hanging beaten, half-naked, bloody, with a crown of thorns on the cross. You see, we will never reach this world if the most important thing to us is blending in. The chameleon syndrome has sabotaged revival. It's when we have a desire to stand out that we become unstoppable. Noah and his family were saved from the flood. Sarah was blessed with her son Isaac. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down flat. David defeated the nine-foot Goliath. Peter walked on water. And most importantly, Jesus rose from the dead. So the question is, church, why have I never had an epic win for God, like killing a giant or walking on water? And it's because of this. I'm not willing to look foolish. I'm not willing to attack the enemy with a slingshot or get out of the boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of a lake. You see, there's something powerful about the scripture we just read. David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant reveals why God 
use David in such historical ways. You see, David has just been crowned king of Israel. He has defeated the Philistines. He has recaptured the fortress of Zion, and he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back home to Jerusalem. It's literally the greatest day of David's life. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, 16, if we have it, says this. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And verse 20 says this. Then David returned to bless his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and says this. Now understand, what she is about to say here is literally just dripping with sarcasm. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids, of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And remember, David was just crowned king of Israel. He had, a, he had an added pressure to act like a king. He had a reputation to protect. He had a crown to represent. Kings don't disrobe and dance in the middle of the street. Shepherd boys do. And no one knew that better than Saul's daughter, Michael. She grew up in the palace. She knew the royal protocol. Michael understood that the royal robes symbolized David's, David's identity as a king. But you see, David didn't see it that way. When David took off his royal robes, he was making a statement. He was refusing to find his identity and security in his position as king of Israel. You see, David found his identity and security somewhere else. And Brother Brian, I know you're going to love this. He found it as a worshiper. David was a worshiper ever before he was a king. Worship was what elevated David in the sight of God in the first place. David was making a statement about his true identity, his core values. The truth is, David is a worshiper who just happened to be king. Worship was his fundamental identity. David makes it perfectly clear all throughout Scripture. David says in Psalms, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shield. Looking foolish wasn't something David was afraid of. David responds to Michael in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21. And this is when David's about to lay in the smackdown. Catch this. Oh, there it is. Beautiful. Verse 21 and David said to Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before your father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. Therefore, will I play before the Lord. And verse 22 is when, when David just goes in for the kill. Listen to this. Verse 22. And I will yet be more vile than this. And will be base in my own sight, but as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. So church, we have to understand 
that making our image the most important thing, the most important goal in life is the tactic of the enemy. You must ask yourself, what culture are you trying to look civilized in? Who are you trying to please? You see, when I read the gospel, the only civilized people I see throughout scriptures are the Pharisees. Jesus didn't care about image. He broke every social rule there was. He even handpicked a dozen of disciples who were considered hillbillies. I see Jesus correcting the Pharisees and praising a prostitute who doesn't know any better than to crash a party and to pour an expensive alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' feet in act of worship. God is looking for people who are desperate. People who are desperate enough to climb sycamore trees and to cut holes in ceilings and to push through crowds and to yell at the top of their voices and to jump out of boats in the middle of lakes. And remember what David said when he was saying to Michael, I will become more vile than this. So the question remains, church, am I willing to look foolish by this world's standards for Christ's sake? Am I willing to be uncomfortable in this world for Christ? Are there boundaries on how far I'm willing to go to worship the Lord? David did the unthinkable. He broke royal protocol. He was willing to take off his royal robes so he could worship the Lord. You see, David understood something powerful here. Worship is taking some things off so we can properly lift Jesus up. Amen? David wasn't trying to prove that he was the king of Israel. He was embracing who God is, the king of kings. David had a childlike faith in the Lord. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become like little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is simply telling us we need to become more, less self-conscious, just like little children. John 3:33 or John 3:30 says this, he must de- he must increase but I must decrease. And catch this, it is sin that entraps me into this unhealthy and unholy fear to look foolish. And I'll close with this church musicians, you're welcome to come. So where did the chameleon syndrome come from? Genesis 3-7 describes what happened literally the nanosecond after Adam and Eve sinned for the very first time. The scripture says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. The moment they sinned, they became self-conscious. In other words, self-consciousness is a part of the curse The fall is what gave birth to self-consciousness. You have two choices to make when you worship. God-consciousness or self-consciousness. 
To become like Christ is to become more God-consciousness and less self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is a disease that will destroy you from the inside out and it will annihilate your faith. You see, church, if we want to become overcomers of self-consciousness, we have to surrender everything to God and allow ourselves to be intoxicated by his spirit. And I want to share with you guys just a quick story of mine. You see, back in 2015, when I went off to Bible college, after my very first semester, I quickly found myself in a very, very dark place. Um, I was completely depressed. The enemy had, had, had been waging war against my mind. And I know this sounds crazy, but I actually even began to entertain the thoughts of suicide. And I remember um, being in my dorm and just literally locking myself away. And I know suicide sounds incredibly insane, but unless you've been there, it's extremely hard to wrap your mind around how someone could, could come to the realization that it would be more, I'd find it would be easier for me to take my own life than to take another breath of air. That's the mindset of someone who's, who's contemplating thoughts of suicide. And I remember being locked in my dorm and I wouldn't go out, I wouldn't socialize with anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. I was convinced that all my friends thought I was a loser. I was convinced that I had no friends. I thought everyone was against me. And came, it came Spiritual Emphasis Week. And what Spiritual Emphasis Week at our college was it's a three-day long revival. And it's intended to boost the morale of the student body. And I remember Spiritual Emphasis Week came and, and I made up my mind I wasn't going. And the first night came, I got off work and I skipped it. I went straight to my dorm after work and locked myself in. And the second night came and did it again. Went straight to my dorm and locked myself in. And the third day was a Friday. And I remember waking up that Friday morning and I had a text message from the Dean of Students. His name is David Reed. And he sent me a text message and said, you need to be at service tonight. And I remember church seeing that text message and I just got angry. I got furious and I literally swiped over and deleted the text message. And I remember going to work that night and on my way home, I was literally just talking to myself in the car. I was like, I'm not going to service tonight. I'm not going, I don't care what he says. And I was just frustrated, like talking myself through this, trying to pump myself up enough so I didn't go. And I remember coming back to school and I walked up the stairs and you literally have to walk by the chapel to get to the guy's dorm. And sure enough, I walk up the stairs and I walked by the chapel and I started walking down the hallway to the guy's dorm. And I reached out for the guy's dorm door and I didn't recognize it then, but I do now, but the Lord spoke to me. And as I grabbed the door, he said, just go. What could it hurt? Save yourself the argument and save yourself the, the trouble with the dean and just go. And so I let go of the door and I turned around and I walked back towards the chapel and I went in and I sat down in the back row of the chapel and I just crossed my arms and I was just so angry and frustrated and I felt miserable. And I remember the, the, the pastor preaching and I was just ignoring every word he said. I was just angry. And I remember sitting there and then all of a sudden I heard this guy talking about his testimony. And this, 
he was talking about how he was entertaining the thoughts of suicide. And I was like, what? A, a pastor is thinking about suicide? And he was talking about how he was ready to walk away from his ministry. He was ready to throw it all away and just go home. It would have been way easier just to pick up a job somewhere and do a, uh, a nine to five somewhere. This ministry thing is way too hard. He was ready to call it all quits. And he was talking about this testimony and, and it caught my ear. So I started to listen to him. And then church, the altar call came. And if you have been churched, if you grew up in church, you know that when an altar call happens and when everyone responds to the altar call, you better get up because you're literally putting a red flag up saying, hey, come pray for me if you stay seated. And so immediately I stood up and I, I walked, <laughs> I walked to the, to the front, to the altar. But you also know that this is not an area you stand in. If you, you don't go to this zone if, because this is where prayer happens. So you stand off to the side. And I remember standing off to the side and just crossing my arms and just bowing my head. And just, I literally felt numb. And I had no idea. And I was looking at all these people just literally slain on the altar. And they were just travailing in the spirit. And I could not understand how they were literally talking to God so fluidly. And I felt so numb and miserable. And I had two best friends in Bible college. Their names were Kyle and Colby. And these guys are what are, I call my battle buddies. And you see, at this time, I hadn't talked to these guys in over a month. I completely locked them out. I didn't talk to them. I was convinced that these guys were against me too. And I remember Colby was at the altar and he was praying for someone. And I was standing here. And Colby turned around and started walking in my general direction and to go pray for somebody. And so I stepped out of the way and let him by. And then all of a sudden, church, I felt a hand touch me. And then I remember closing my eyes, and then I felt another hand touch me. I look over, and it was Kyle, my battle buddies. And, and all of a sudden, church, I closed my eyes, and the Lord gave me a vision. And this vision was of a big brick wall. And this wall began to crack. And then all of a sudden, I felt another hand and another hand. And literally, half the student body surrounded me and just started praying over me. And literally, as I closed my eyes, I began to pray. And I saw this, this, this brick wall begin to crack. And as it began to crack, I remember I bowed my head. And then I went from bowing my head to bending over. And I was just weeping. And then all of a sudden, the wall is crumbling even more. And I got down on my knees. And everyone's just praying over me. And I'm literally just crying out to God. And I remember this wall literally just shattered and came down literally flat. And I remember just being literally sprawled out before God, just wailing. And I was crying so hard, crying out to God so hard that literally the blood vessels in my face bursted. And it took three days for those to actually heal. In church, I remember after this all happened, it was like an hour of me just laying in the altar. I ran and I, and I grabbed my notebook. And I, and I literally, I told myself, I have to write this down. I cannot forget this moment. And I wrote this, church. It was on February 18th, 2000. 16. Tonight was the night God broke me. I was ready to give up. I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to end everything that I had worked so hard for when God used the people who loved me most to speak into my life and chains were broken. The weight that was crushing the life out of me was lifted. God showed up and rescued me. He showed me that I am not alone. There are people on my side who love me, 
who refused to see me give up. They showed up when I needed them the most. Thank you, Jesus. Never forget where he brought you from. And know he has a mighty plan beyond your dreams for you. Spiritual emphasis week, Friday night. And church, I share that story with you tonight because the enemy is coming against us. And you see, the enemy is going to do everything in his power to derail us from fulfilling our calling, fulfilling our purpose for his kingdom. And you see, the enemy has literally crafted a weapon specifically designed for every single one of us. The enemy knows our our struggles. He knows our temptations. And this weapon literally has our name on it. And the crosshairs of that weapon are literally pointed directly at us every waking moment of our life. But you see, church, the Bible says this. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Ooh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Church, I just wonder if we could just stand and just begin to lift our hands and let's just simply make a declaration unto God that the enemy is not going to have his way with us. He's not going to have his way with our kids. He's not going to have his way with our family, with our loved ones. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. God, we surrender everything to you right now. Lord, I just simply ask that you would have your way in us. Lord, make a way. God, open our hearts, Lord Jesus. God, you know the trials and the tribulations and the situations that we are going through, God. Lord, you know every child in this church, Lord Jesus. God, you know our situations better than we know them, Lord. God, I just pray that you would give us a spirit of submissiveness tonight. God, move in our hearts, Lord. God, move in our minds, Lord. Church, I just want to urge you. You're more than welcome to step out. You're more than welcome to pray where you are. This altar's open to you. Oh!